0: welcome back did you enjoy your lunch I understand the prime rib might be next week so you'll have to come and as I understand next week as well uh, the topic is waste less food how wasted food costs us time money and resources and what we can do about it uh, Kathleen Shepard from uh, Environment Lethbridge will actually be our presenter next uh, next Thursday. So we have a microphone uh, right up beside uh, Canood. Um, please come on up. We would like you to keep your questions short and your commentary even shorter. Uh, if you do feel like you've got something you need to share with the entire group just talk to Knut and he'll set you up for one of these sessions and you can be the presenter. Might be the best way around it. So, uh, please make your way to the microphone and uh, uh, give Dr.
1: Ferry your best questions. Uh, I'll just say first, uh, over the break, uh, someone called me relaxing, which is the first
2: time that's ever happened. <laughs> so. uh, my name is Knut Peterson. Thank you very much for coming down, uh, and How thanks to Lisa for bringing you down here. That's, uh, yeah, Lisa
1: rescued me in the snow from Calgary yesterday. So.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Paul, I wonder if you could share with us uh, your thoughts on uh, whether or not a minority government in Ottawa might uh, move the proportional representation uh, uh, vote, change, change, uh, change the way we vote. Uh, forward. Uh, that it seems to me there might be a chance of that happening in this situation. Could you let us know? Um, yeah, yeah,
1: so, so I, I, th- I think it's probably quite unlikely c- because uh, the Liberals, at least uh, with the, uh, the last parliament, uh, refused to um, switch over from uh, first-past-the-post to any other system. So between them and the Conservatives who are generally uh, against it, uh, I don't think there's too much of a, uh, a chance of that. It was probably the best chance in a long time to have had a majority Liberal government who campaigned on, on electoral reform to change it, but the fact that it didn't happen is uh, sad, if, if that's what you want, certainly,
3: yeah. Uh, Terry Shellington, thank you very much for a very uh, stimulating presentation. <laughs> um, uh, the, one of the most helpful categories you offered was the, the dichotomy of open and closed mm-hmm. uh, societies and values. Mm-hmm. I find that very helpful. The question was raised at our table, so that implies that <coughs> about 50 or 60 percent of Albertan voters are closed. Mm-hmm. And why is it that um, that Saskatchewan and Alberta have far more closed voters than open? And that so that that's a, a question. The sub-question under that is, within Alberta, is Calgary uh, a fairly you would think an open city with a lot of newcomers, a lot mm-hmm. of people coming and going? You would think those values would be more liberal. But, but h- how, d- how do you explain Calgary's uh, voting pattern when uh, in the open and closed uh, dichotomy?
1: Yeah, so, so I, guess, I guess two questions there. Um, so one is uh, ab- about Alberta being more, uh, more closed than other places. I think some of that, at least in the... So this is a more recent phenomenon Canada-wide, at least the open and closed um, split. But in Alberta, I think part of it would be a strong notion of at least uh, cultural conservatism. It's not so much social conser- conservatism in Alberta, actually. So if you if you poll about socially conservative issues, Alberta is not um, more conservative than um, the rest of Canada. It's actually pretty middle of the road. Saskatchewan's more socially conservative. PEI is more socially conservative um, than Alberta. Alberta's very kind of kind of standard. Um, what was the second? Calgary. Oh yeah. So then 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 Calgary. Yeah. So. I mean, I mean, certainly uh, cities in general are, are more open and I think Calgary might be. I mean, there, there were some interesting studies a few years ago um, about, about the point you brought up about people moving in and out of Calgary, that Alberta is actually quite unusual. So if you look at other provinces, if you, come, if you go to them, you genera- generally bring your, your past voting habits with you. So if you move from BC and you were an NDP voter and you move to Ontario. You be, you're an NDP voter in Ontario, but the weird thing, which we don't have an explanation for, is in Alberta. If you move from Newfoundland and you come to um, come to Alberta, and you were a Liberal in Newfoundland, you're just as likely to be a Conservative as everyone else, or like like you, you don't necessarily bring over your voting habits. Not so much your values, like you they're just whatever they are. But Alberta seems to have this unusual um, effect on people, of of, of sort of. Uh, Blending them in more politically than everyone else—that's a mystery. Like I don't know—I don't know exactly why that is. But, uh.
4: Hi, Paul. Uh, thank you for your presentation. It's very interesting. My name is Les Elford, and I think in your in your commentary you mentioned the word progressivism, or I don't know if I'm saying that right. Mm-hmm. And I've heard I've heard that term used more and more by. A number of different political parties or politicians. I guess I'm just trying to, I'm hoping that maybe you can help me understand the definition or what it means and, and secondly I'm wondering whether or not you think it is a good thing in politics today.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so in, in terms of what it means I guess there are two ways that people will use it. So one is just as an opposite of conservatism. So if you think of conservatism as a preference for things more or less mm-hmm. remaining the same versus progressivism, which is more open to change, that's one way that people use it. Um, another one is just sort of as a, um, <laughs> as a different way of saying left-wing and right-wing, so progressivism might be seen as a more um, left-wing position. I mean, whether or not it's a good thing in politics, uh, to take myself out of it for a moment, it just depends on your your political opinion, but at, at least as a um, as an alternative to a conservative worldview, a progressive worldview, which is not necessarily better or worse, is just an alternative uh, for people to vote for. So, in terms of do I think it's good for voters to have a choice of different worldviews when they're they're voting out? Like absolutely, like almost the more the merrier. There are a few I wouldn't I wouldn't be too excited about, but.
5: Uh, Hi Paul, uh, thank you very much for your uh, your presentation, and I do uh, look at the results of elections, so thank you thank aren't you, yes. by yourself. <laughs> um, I guess my question to you is, uh, certainly in the last two elections that we've experienced here in Alberta in April, and then the federal election, uh, there uh, is certainly messages that um, promote the divide. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have struggled with how do you get a message out and get people to listen to the message that is about uh, we are all one Mm -hmm. Uh, and when you talked about uh, obedience and creativity Mm -hmm. as a parent I always uh, urged my kids to be creative but there were certain things I expected them to be obedient about. And I think in life, there has to be a balance of both. Mm. So how do we uh, promote a message that is about everybody for the good of all? And the reason I'm asking this is Mm. because... Uh, the member for Lethbridge East on the uh, theme of obedience uh, I'll I'll be be quick Uh, the member from uh, Lethbridge East uh, did a clip for his party that uh, where he said um, we were elected by a group of people that had certain religious um, uh, faith based uh, principles and that is who we are supporting So how do we make people understand it's about everybody and we have to look at everything?
0: And and if we could just remember to state our name, we get up there, so that was Maria Fitzpatrick. (laughs) Thank
6: you. (laughs)
1: Yeah, 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 it's an an interesting question. So I'm not a political communications guy, uh, so I don't know how much thought I have about that, but in, in terms of messaging, the disappointing thing is that voters aren't usually too swayed by messages of ideology or even specifically like arguments using rationality. A lot of voting, it, it seems like it's about um, is about emotion and feeling. So like why would, to come back to the, the earlier question, um, a closed worldview be emerging in in Alberta maybe and in the UK and the US um, would be around um, the, the common theme there is like an economic shift in society, so um, a, a lot of the U.S. and the, uh, and the U.K. would se- have seen a shift away from uh, you know classic manufacturing jobs, which were jobs where you didn't have to have an advanced degree and you could make uh, a decent living wage uh, doing them. And taking that away in in the U.K. and the U.S. has caused a lot of traditional left-wing voters to now become more sort of Brexit um, conservative style voters, uh, Trump voters. Um, so, so in terms of like the messaging, uh, like it's just a not a lot you can do. If people are feeling like their economic livelihood is, is threatened, uh, people, uh, people will often, though not always, um, shift towards a more uh, closed worldview. So I mean, how to, how to stop that, I, I, I don't know. If I, if I, could, if I could answer that, I, I'd be rich, but uh, I'm, I'm not rich, if you're wondering.
2: <laughs> Dr. Paul, I'm Douglas Mitchell. I emigrated to this country 60 odd years ago. I was here before that in the RAF in 1944. Mm -hmm. And uh, I am really, my wife, I met my wife in Ottawa some 50 years ago. We were married in Ottawa. We're both, of course, originally from the old country. My wife from south of the border, I from the north. I feel for them now, what they're going through with Brexit. Mm. But but what really disturbs me is this talk of separation. Just Mm. even the mention of it is enough, and I worked for the federal government for 28 years. uh, We are dyed-in-the-wool Canadians, even though we don't speak (laughs) quite as well as some Canadians. (laughs) Um, We try hard, (laughs) and I really would like you to address this question of how significant is all this talk about Western separation? Mm -hmm. And if (laughs) if there were to be Western separation, where would my wife and I go? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no... (laughs)
1: So in, in, in terms of, I guess, Western separation, is it new? Is it a new movement? Like, definitely not. Like, um, I'm sure we're all thinking of the old Didsbury election in the 1980s where uh, Western Canada concept uh, won the by-election there, which was quite shocking. Um, they were a, 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 essentially a Western independence uh, party at the time. So, like, it has ebbed and flowed. They, they, they didn't win a seat after that, um, so it's not necessarily new, and if it's, if it's polling at about 25%, I don't know how, how serious of a threat it is right now. The, the danger, though, is that um, what, what we might call like elite signaling, so like politicians um, kind of blessing uh, certain ideologies or movements by taking them too seriously can actually make things get a little bit out of control. Like, was Quebec nationalism or separat- separatist movement um, born entirely from the feelings of the people. No, it required you know, leaders to shift public opinion about it, so just because it's not that popular now doesn't mean it nece- won't necessarily be. But it's not new, which is why it doesn't surprise or shock me too much. I, a lot of the coverage seems to th- treat it as if it's a new phenomenon, but, but it's not really. I mean, I mean, if you look at some polls of Western alienation, it's more to do with which party is in power federally. Like, it goes down when there are conservatives in power, it goes up when they're... Are liberals in power, and I mean like immediately, like not based on even really actions, just based on partisan feeling. So is that as as to where you go um, with Western separation? So my, my, my personal plan uh, for that is uh, so. So my father uh, was born in in Glasgow. Um, and my grandpa still lives in East Kilbride, uh, uh, so I can claim citizenship there. So I, I, I'd quickly quickly run there campaign for Scottish independence and then build, like, a utopia uh, in Europe. That's my plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, ladies yeah. and gentlemen.
7: <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Barbara McNeely Sears. Um, I grew up in the States, so that's the context of okay. it. Over uh, the elections and the, and the um, representatives, how much weight... Like, I know in the States, I remember as a young adult, that if the representatives didn't locally Measure up and that—that that it wasn't necessarily your party. It's whether you represented like the issues. Like we were from a logging, dairy, whatever industry mm-hmm. country, and uh, like if you didn't pull through and really represent your area, you were gone. Yeah, you know, and the next party, it, it was more <coughs> the, the their performance, see. Mm-hmm. Eh? But now, uh, now I say A, you can tell I'm now Canadian <laughs> citizen, yay. <laughs> anyway. You're blending in, you're blending in. That's I'm like, whoops. Uh, uh, but now when I come here, I'm always kind of disheartened when I hear, oh, that's a safe seat. You know, like, if, the, if you could have somebody run and they sit and twiddle their thought, or they really didn't measure up or, or represent. And like, are, are you finding, is it, are the voters starting to lean one way or the other? Like, are they really holding their local MP or, or MLA, whatever accountable, mm-hmm. and sa- or they just say, oh, well, it's the general party and I don't care. Like that really kind of bothers me. I think you really need to have your area um, represented. That's yeah. you, you get what I'm saying. Hey, sure, yeah, yeah. So, so a
1: couple of things about that. So one is there definitely are safe seats in, in, in Canada and, and the US for sure. Um, a couple of dozen of se- seats in, in Western Canada that would never vote anything but conservative few dozen seats in Toronto and um, uh, Montreal area, which would be pretty safe liberal seats. But an interesting thing about Canada versus the US is it's sort of in in Canada in some ways more about party than in the US, but in the same way Canadians change their minds more often than the US. So like voters on an individual basis in the US will be more kind of sticky, like they'll vote for the same person as an individual. But in Canada, we do shift around a lot more. So I mean, the, the biggest stat there is that the re-election rate in the US House of Representatives is something like 95-ish percent, which is very high. But in Canada, the average is about two-thirds. So like, we'll have elections where we throw out 80% of the the people. If you remember 1993 election, which was the first election, uh, I became slightly obsessed with. Um, we had a project to do in in class. And they said, oh, watch the election result for like one mark. And then ever since, I've not been recovered from that. Um, but, uh, but in Canada, we have a much lower re-election rate than in, in the U.S.
7: But is that flipped, you're finding in the Canada, is that more based on just party? It wasn't necessarily yeah, so on it's more, performance? Yes, yeah, so there's, there's
1: almost no um, vote. This is very disappointing for people who volunteer, so if you, if you volunteer for political parties, close your ears. Um, 10 or 12% of mm-hmm. the vote is, is, is driven by local issues, but most of it is driven by regional and national campaigns, so it's more about shifting to, the, to a certain leader or to a, to a certain party because of national issues, rather than is your local representative good or bad. I mean, we can all think of examples and we can keep them to ourselves about lo, uh, local, local representatives who are, who are like less effective but stay in just because they're the right party.
8: Yeah. Hi, I'm Ken Sears. Um, to get back to the question, did everybody lose the election? I'm just going to make a couple of observations and you sure. can respond. I'd suggest that actually the NDP came not out of this election not badly mm-hmm. because the NDP is now federally back in a position where they're very comfortable. We've been used to seeing an NDP, gov- an NDP opposition holding the balance of power. Mm-hmm. I think the NDP views itself now as being back in that position. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first observation. The second observation is, I think the, the Conservatives, as presently constituted, have a real problem because, as you, their their vote is very efficient where their vote I- where their vote is, mm-hmm. but they they show no real possibility of growth, mm-hmm. and I think the NDP is or the Greens are uh, essentially a party of Elizabeth May. With her gone, I very much doubt we're going to see them returned, and the block I think has peaked. They have no place to go. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what's going to happen with the liberals, but if yeah. you could sort of comment on that,
1: yeah. Um, hmm. So in terms of uh, the NDP, uh, it's, it's definitely a good point around um, being in, uh, like, hold it, being one of the parties that holds the balance of power. It, it can be quite a lot of power. If we think of the minority governments in the 1960s, there was a lot of the the social um, welfare state that was set up in the 1960s as a result of. A liberal minority government with an NDP holding the balance of power. So, like things like uh, uh, national healthcare systems and so on. So, so it is. It, it can be quite a lot of power. And I mean, if the NDP won anything, it was they won the campaign quite well. But uh, you know, going from eight percent to sixteen percent is not super um, super exciting, anyways. But it, it, the the other point though is around the Conservative Party, and it's true that at least as currently constituted. There is a growth problem. Could they get more votes than last time? Yes, absolutely. But do I think it would still be in the similar places where they've already won seats? So it, it does pose a problem until they can at least shift their branding—not and not necessarily the name, but just how people feel about them. So it, it is definitely a quite restrictive thing. And you're right about the Liberals being a wild card. I mean, I don't know if we all expected uh, the campaign as it went uh, for the Liberals. So I mean, Justin Trudeau will hope there are no more no more yearbooks. Uh, floating around
9: Bev, <coughs> Bev Mendel atherstone thank you very much for your talk can't you come down here and give us one of your one of your one-day workshops <laughs> that would be I, very
1: nice <laughs> I, someone can invite me in <laughs> <laughs> I, Lisa can come get me in then <laughs> yeah.
9: I think you partially answered my question it's about f- f- federal provincial influences on each other mm-hmm. and you said you know that Alberta gets goes more conservative when when they're not in power mm. federally, although the provincial election was held first. Um, my question has to do with the um, dichotomy, I think, of Alberta, mm. that it was founded kind of on the Wild West. I mm. mean, it was the, the bad guy, before it was a province, it was where all the bad guys came. Mm-hmm. That's why we had to have Fort Hoop up and we had to have the Mounties and all this kind of stuff. So it was kind of the, <coughs> the land beyond the law And we still have that mentality in Alberta, the land beyond the law. And the opposite is we have a lot of people who belong to very um, rigid um, uh, groups with authoritarian structures and behaving, belonging to those groups and and behaving those rules. So we seem seem to have the flip-flop. I wonder if uh, you could comment on um, kind of unpack that maybe a little bit, and then comment on the premier's um, uh, taking advantage of this so-called Western alienation and um, pandering, pandering to his base, but at the same time, going back to that Wild West mentality of doing whatever he wants once he's in power, uh, getting away from his promises and now wanting to take the uh, CPP and the teacher's pension and all these kinds of things, the naughty things that he's doing mm-hmm. that really weren't part of that law and order kind of structure. Mm-hmm. So I see this flip-flopping. You, you got the question in there,
1: right? <laughs> he
9: heard the question.
1: <laughs> Thank yes. You. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's always interesting. So one comment I'd make, first of all, is like uh, political history and like the founding political moments of society often really do have like a long-term effect on how people think about themselves and how politics is conducted. So there's lots of studies about the difference between Canada and the U.S. and about how even, like, if you think about how each country was founded, the U.S. founded in revolution, Canada founded in a series of meetings that took place in Charlottetown and and Toronto and and a few other places. And that those founding moments really gave us a different image of how we progress. And it might explain, like, there's a really interesting book, I can't remember the name of it, about how gun control legislation differences in Canada and the U.S. is about these founding moments in the stories we tell ourselves. So if Alberta was founded in a, in a, in a Wild West uh, mindset, that would sort of carry through. Um, and I'll, I'll tie your question in with this open and or- ordered idea around authoritarianism. So one thing that we know I- about open and ordered voters is that the ordered voters uh, do actually like um, what, what I'll euphemistically call strong leaders or authoritarian stances so w- will um will voters react too negatively about things like um, like this election commissioner thing where they're firing the election commissioner will ordered voters react too d- differently about that they they might know they might see it instead as bringing more order and bringing more control to a to a strong central figure so I mean, they sort of can it's it's complicated uh, to to figure out how the the reaction will be of different voters, uh, I think, and it will depend on their worldview as well. Hi, Henning Mundell is my name. And uh, since in your presentation, you did a great job on unpacking a lot of numbers for us, I'm going to ask for a very simple number and then to try to unpack why you give your answer the way you do. And that is, with the minority government we have now, how long do you think it'll last? Yeah, um, yeah no, it's a, it's, a, it's a great question. So number, if you want one number, oh, go uh, 24 months, like two years. Um, why do I pick that number? It's basically the average of how long they've, uh, they, they do last, so like a year and a half to two years. Um, I think it, it doesn't... Because, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a relatively healthy minority in terms of, like, they're, they're reasonably close to the, the majority space, so they don't need to have two parties join up with them. They can sometimes appeal to the block, sometimes get the, the NDP on the side. Um, so they, they, they do have more choices, but will they want to even go on beyond two years is, 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 a, is another question. Like, it's just more difficult. And I mean, I still think, I, I have this horrid uh, h- feeling that we're just stuck in a loop again. So, if 1968, the Trudeau wins a majority. 1972, he wins a minority. 1974, he wins a majority. So, I'm expecting just like we're stuck in this historical cycle. So, yeah. So, 2021, uh, book your election night parties. Get your good snacks in.
4: Uh, yeah. Hi again. I'm I'm uh, I'm hoping that you can answer this question. I I and I. I I may be opening a can of worms, I don't know. <laughs> but I'm, I'm That's a great it, start, yeah. I'm going to throw it out there, anyways. And, uh, and that is, I'm wondering if you have any comments or ideas of. Uh, uh, it appears to me, anyways, in my simple understanding, that um, Canada threw Israel under the bus a day or two ago. And I'm wondering if if, if, if you could perhaps have an um, explanation, understanding why or how that could have happened, or if it would have possibly been partly due to the current makeup of the House of Commons and the uh, agendas of uh, the representative parties involved, or if it's something else. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I, I, I'm gonna use my privilege as saying I have no idea. Um, yeah, my, my, my least favorite thing to, to do when you watch political scientists comment in the media is you're like, okay, I know them in real life, because I'm cool, um, <laughs> and you think, oh, they don't know anything about that topic. Like, I know who they are, and I know what they know about, and you're like, oh, no, it's not really what your area of expertise is. Um, so I, I, won't, I will not comment outside of this area of expertise. I'm just randomly speaking, and you know, that's not helpful.
2: Yeah.
1: But Hi, good question, um, though. It's a good question. Yeah.
6: Hi, Paul. My name is Lori Schultz. Thank you very much for your presentation today. Um, It seems to me, it's the first time in all the federal elections that I was, uh, I voted in, um, that there was uh, this very orchestrated, uh, sophisticated, orchestrated, Alberta premier Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. advocacy for the federal conservatives. Very smooth. It was quite a smooth, sophisticated machine. Mm seems to me that I've never seen that before, but I, I would ask you to correct me. And secondly, is that, have we turned onto a new path? Is this going to be the state of federal elections from here on in? Have we just gone into a new era? Mm. Uh, I just wonder if you can comment on that and un- unpack that a little
1: bit. Yeah, so, I mean, off the top of my head, I can't think of other Alberta premiers who campaigned that um, enthusiastically during a, a campaign, but like, certainly throughout history there have been times where it sort of ebbed and flowed, like it was very common before World War II for premiers to like, specifically pick a party and endorse them and campaign for them, and that was, that was pretty um, common. It was even the case until relatively uh, recently that provincial and federal parties were actually just like, one entity. Uh, for the most part, so there was really no division between a federal party and a, and a provincial party. So I mean, it, it wasn't usual in, the, in the, like the, the, the most recent elections, uh, for sure, but it's not like historically uh, too unusual. I mean, you could kind of see it coming. There was this McLean's uh, cover, I don't know, maybe nine or 12 months ago, where Ford and Kenny and... Uh, Shear and a few others were on the cover as like, the, we are the resistance, which is a, I don't know, did, didn't look at them and think resistance, but um, but you could see that the, the provincial leaders and premiers were kind of gearing up uh, for a fight, and certainly if they felt like um, the liberals were going to be in power for a long time, then you know it's, it's almost the most appropriate thing. An interesting thing, uh, a tidbit for you to take home, uh, about uh, Kenny campaigning in Ontario, I think he campaigned in 21 writings, and the liberal vote did not go up in or the Liberal vote to not go down on any of them, which was uh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it's, it, it's it's a new thing in the in the short term, but it's uh, it's happened before; it'll happen again.
0: Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Paul's made a bunch of predictions, so if you want to <laughs> wager your bets with Annalise, she'll <laughs> hold your money for you. Um, Paul, on behalf of uh, Sergeant Alberta Council of Public Affairs, thank you very much for coming. Uh, it is informative. You've heard an invitation to come down and give us one of your all-day sessions. Uh, Paul also does an all-day session on municipal tax. Yeah. So I have, I have signed it's, it's up exciting, for that. Yeah. So if <laughs> others want to join me, that would be awesome. Uh, and thank you very much. We do hope to see you again in the near future back in our city.
1: Yeah, thank my you. pleasure. Yeah.